Hello and welcome to the third and final episode of In Conversation with P&G Beauty, Diversity Beyond Numbers mini-series. Across the media landscape, LGBTQ inclusion is expanding every day, but not in advertising. A 2020 report by Gina Davis Institute on gender in media found only 1.8% of characters in ads from the annual Cannes Lime Festival were LGBTQ. This month, with the help of my panel, we will discuss the cultural drivers that can help brands increase LGBTQ representation across all marketing activity. Without further ado, let me introduce the panel. A warm welcome to Sarah K. Ellis, President and CEO of GLAD, Brent Miller, Senior Director, Global LGBTQ+, Equality, Creative Content and Partnerships at P&G, and Leal Amer, VP Hair Care Portfolio Europe at P&G. Welcome, everybody. Good morning. It's great to be with you guys. Hello, it's great to be here. Sarah, let's start with you. In 2021, what are the key social drivers influencing the need for brands to increase LGBTQ representation in advertising campaigns? Well, I think you really mentioned it in your opening, right? Is that there's only 1.8% of ads that include LGBTQ people. But if you look at the latest Gallup poll um, in the United States, what lo- that showcases that be- 18 to 24-year-olds, 16% identify as LGBT. And we measure um, the Q as well at GLAD. So when you add the Q, that that percentage nearly doubles. Um, so if you have this younger generation that is highly identifying within the LGBTQ community, um, and you need to see if you're a business out there, right? Um, in the beauty business is at the leading edge, right? Has always been. Um, they need to start including um, LGBTQ people more and more. Now, I do think the beauty industry has done a pretty good job at it, um, better than other industries overall. But it's really, if you want to attract as a company the next generation of employees and the next set of talent within your own um, corporation, but also the next generation of consumers, um, if almost 30% of this population is identifying as LGBTQ, and you know from research and time and time again in advertising that people want to see themselves reflected. They actually want to see a better version of themselves reflected, right? Um, so I, I think that's really, really important. And that's to the point of, of the the research that we've been doing with P&G over the past couple of years. And what are the key social drivers for P&G, Brent? Well, I mean, I think we're seeing a, a pretty big shift in um, in the marketplace. And to Sarah Kate's point, with each successive generation, um, we're seeing more and more people identify as LGBTQ. There's a, a lot of different factors um, that are playing into that. Um, Part of that is, I think, the uh, the expansiveness of the community itself and the changing definition of what it means to be LGBTQ. But certainly more and more people are comfortable identifying, coming out of the closet, living openly and honestly as their authentic selves. And so there's a social dynamic here. And as a company that re- that's really serves all people, we have a responsibility and an obligation to represent all of those people in the work that we do. 
And, you know, personally, as someone that's part of the LGBTQ community, as I grew up, I didn't see myself represented in advertising. I didn't really see a world where I belonged. And the, you know, the simple act of including the community within advertising is a signal that you matter, that you're important, that you're valued. And as a company, we have a voice and that voice um, has an impact on how people see the world, how they see each other, how, how they see relationships and kind of interact, um, interactions between, um, between people. And it, when we can commit ourselves to the authentic and accurate portrayal of communities like the LGBTQ community, um, we can have a really profound impact on um, not only just normalization of different people in our society, but um, better understanding. Um, so I think as we continue to see uh, the dynamics shift and expand for the LGBTQ community, the business community needs to be on board um, with that representation and commit themselves to doing that accurately and authentically. And how does this impact product development, Leo? So that's a great question. And building on um, on what my two colleagues were saying, first of all, if we just step back and you know, and sorry for the number overload. I think a lot of you are going to give you know, a lot of us are going to give you some percentages. But today, more and more consumers are not necessarily only looking at the benefits they're buying, but they're looking at the values of the brands that they're buying. And actually, if you talk to Gen Z consumers, 68% of them believe brands need to promote more progressive values and they need to play a more meaningful role in society. And, you know, to what my two colleagues were saying, more and more people today are embracing their authenticity in an unapologetic way, be it ethnicity, culture, gender expression, age, and other aspects of their identity. But yet, you know, to your starting point, only 1.8% of advertising is reflecting that reality. And if we think, you know, in the broader workplace, 53% of LGBTQ plus community members feel they have to hide their identity at work, which is where they spend most of their life. So there is that massive, you know, difference between the expectation of um, of consumers and the reality. And at the heart of it, I think there's a lot of fear from from brands necessarily thinking that they may get it wrong, um, thinking they may not get the right representation, and that fear tends to hold a lot of brands brands back from from just taking that first step forward. And if I think of our experience on Pantene, which is one of the brands that has been leading the frontier with the Hair Has No Gender campaign, it really started with a deep human insight. Um, and that insight was that hair is identity. And that was true for members of the LGBTQ plus um, community as well as, as other communities. But the thing that we found out is that while, you know, for um, me as a as a straight woman, you know, going and and getting the hair that I want and the way that I want and you know delivering my identity in the way that I that I feel right was something I've taken for granted. It wasn't absolutely the case for members of the transgender community, and there were no safe spaces for them to um, demonstrate their identity. And actually, salons didn't necessarily accept them. You know, the the men's salon would give a certain look, the women's salon would give a certain look, and that was a very binary. Uh, way of expressing hair. And so once we found that out as a brand, um, we took that first step forward of partnering with the right people and driving that right representation and making a change in society that we feel very proud of. But that's just the first step of many. And I think, you know, even those earlier days, there was some fear. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna lie about it of, you know, how do we do this? Are we doing this right or wrong? Are we, are we actually driving the right representation? And I think that, you know, the more we overcome that fear collectively, the more we're able to actually drive culture forward. Sarah. 
What does Glad believe are the key digital drivers assisting brands to increase LGBTQ representation in advertising campaigns? Well, you know, if you're going to engage with the LGBTQ community, especially the youth that or the younger generation, like we are talking about today, you need to leverage social media to reach us, right? Um, LGBTQ influencers and social media talent have such fierce and engaged followers. Um, and social media has been a lifeline for our community. It's where we've met each other. It's where we've been able to meet in a safe space. Um, and it's also where we've been able to organize. Over the years, interestingly enough, though, um, it has also become a, um, a weapon against us as a community. Um, so that is something that we are, as a, as a media advocacy organization, we just launched a uh, social media safety index um, measuring the five big platforms for safety. But I, I got carried away there. <laughs> this is about beautiful things um, and beauty. But I think that um, how many LGBTQ people have, have shared their transformational, um, and, and when I say transformational, I mean physical and emotional transformation and finding their true and authentic self on YouTube, um, or how many LGBTQ beauty bloggers there. Um, it's such a popular and powerful segment of our community. Um, and it has helped. It's also a place where youth go to find um, like-minded people or people who they feel that they can um, connect with. You know, there's also um, LGBTQ media online, like the Advocate Out and Condé Nast um, brand them. It's, it's called them. It's, those are important ways for beauty advertisers also to reach our community and to support our community because as we see the media industry changing rapidly and niche publications um, starting to dissipate, it's so important to support um, LGBTQ media because it's not, it's not just... Um, a niche audience, it also is a way for us as a marginalized community to get information and news about our community. But I think you cannot embrace our community without embracing social media and social media platforms. And it's a wonderful way for brands to connect with our community. But it's also, as I said, you know, there's good and bad here because it has also been weaponized for us. We are the most, um, we're the most censored people and we're the most bullied people on um, social media. So it, it, you know, it's a double-edged sword, as they say. Hmm. What are the key digital drivers for P&G, Brent? Well, I mean, Sarah Kate is, you know, spot on. And this is just a, um, it's, it's really the main platform that, that we use in order to reach the community. And I think what's been particularly interesting is because of the two-way conversation that occurs in, in social and digital media, um, it allows um, really robust conversation to occur um, between the consumers or the people seeing the content that we're putting out there and the brands. And sometimes those conversations are very positive and heartwarming and affirming. 
for people and sometimes they can be quite negative for people that aren't necessarily supportive of the LGBTQ community. But what is kind of wonderful about the platform is that it creates dialogue. Um, a lot of times those conversations can self-police um, as um, people express their own points of view. Um, and I think what's critically important as we are putting out content is that we recognize the power that it has to create conversation. And it's those conversations which ultimately help us lead to better understanding. Um, and it's that it's that it's that that dimension of responsibility that becomes then so critical to make sure that we get it right. You know, to Lyle's point, when she talked about the Pantene campaign, the Hair has an agenda campaign, where we were representing um, a host of different transgender women in their journey with their hair. You know, it's it's so important that that we really nail that representation of that journey and the experience of transgender women because it puts that conversation into a social environment. And when that representation is correct, then we can really start something that can be very dynamic. And it helps people that may not, may not identify as part of the community um, understand the community better, or they can see parts of themselves in the insights that we're bringing forward. Um, and so it just can be, it's just an incredibly dynamic forum. Um, and then also to Sarah Kate's point, though, is we have to be very careful about the safety that's associated with it. And so, you know, we monitor that very closely. We make sure that the conversations that are happening um, are, um, are responsible or as responsible as they can be. Um, we make sure that the uh, people that choose to share their stories with us in our ads and in our content um, are protected um, because um, there is a degree of vulnerability that's associated with social and digital media. So, you know, we do everything that we can in order to foster um, great dialogue. Um, and then, you know, certainly working with different influencers and different stakeholders that can help facilitate those conversations is really helpful to put some some great guardrails up or help guide that conversation in a responsible way. But I think, you know, most importantly is social, social media helps give the community a visibility. And um, it's a place where people are coming together and they're, finding people like them. Um, they're finding, um, uh, I guess, um, a degree of camaraderie. Um, so if you're a young person in a, in a rural environment that has, um, you know, perhaps a very small LGBT community or a non-visible LGBT community, you go online and you go into a social environment and you can find people like yourself. And that's incredibly empowering because that's when you know that you're not alone. And so the, the, the dynamicism that it brings to brands and it brings to companies in the world of conversation is just uh, really unending. And how does the digital drivers affect brand development, Leal? So I think my, my colleagues have said it really well. If I step back a second, you know, digital technology has absolutely given a voice and platform to those that may have not had it before. And one of the things that we talk about often is it has changed the visual diet that we consume. If we think of visual diets in the past, it was really a one-way conversation. You know, we um, as brands used to put visual diets out, publishers used to put visual diets out, and that became what everyone consumed. But when we think of the digital platform, and to a lot of the, you know, the comments from my colleagues, people are creating the content themselves. And hence we are in a world where that visual diet we consume is so much more representative um, and, and is so much more enriching of the reality that, that we live. At the same time, um, it has also been a space where hate has been expressed probably um, you know, more freely um, and 
members of a community that already feel marginalized um, become under attack, and that can be detrimental for mental health and for, you know, the goal of moving forward. But I always say that that absolutely shouldn't hinder us because if, you know, the positives that come out of being um, on platforms and driving that conversation forward and being a positive force of change and a force for good far outweigh the negatives. Um, and we just need to be conscious of that. We need to get more educated, partner with the right people, ask the right questions, get involved in the right, in the conversations, and then keep pushing forward, keep pushing forward with, with, um, with driving conversations and, and putting content out there that actually is thought provoking and gets people to connect at a human level. Um, and sees, you know, beyond the differences that we may, uh, you know, use via labels. So I, you know, I, I don't think we can move forward in society and culture without embracing everything that the digital platforms have to offer, recognizing that there is a negative part of it that we need to be, you know, cognizant of, um, but work through and not let that be a barrier for, for progress. Talking about progress, Sarah, which environmental drivers are impacting the need for brands to increase LGBTQ representation in advertising? So I, um, I think when you look at what I was talking about earlier, about the growing demographic that identify as LGBTQ, that it, it becomes obvious that we need to service this community at a different level in a different way. I also think that one of the important thing, things about operationalizing an environment, I always talk about this and Brent knows because we have so many conversations about this, is that you know, as companies are using their advertising to um, speak to the LGBTQ community, and especially here we are in Pride Month, right? So happy Pride, everyone. But in addition, what we're seeing is a lot of brands stepping up with um, rainbow flags and, and T-shirts and all sorts of merchandise. But what's really important um, and, and one thing that a lot of other companies can take a page from P&G on is getting your house in order. The operationalizing of DE&I, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion, or making sure that marginalized communities are seen, heard, and um, accepted within your own company is just step one, honestly. Like you have to start there, that's baseline. If you're not treating your employees well, how can you then go market to um, communities? So I think operationalizing um, and creating an environment within your own company that's and a, a culture that's accepting and policies that recognize LGBTQ people, people with disabilities, whoever the marginalized community is that often isn't thought of when policies are be being written up is taken into consideration. Um, and that's the only way, as we were, as we were all saying earlier, right? That that if you don't if you don't create an environment of inclusion and acceptance, then you're not going to attract the next generation of creators and, and, and employees. And for P&G, Brent? Well, I mean, to, to Sarah Kate's um, point, the, um, the, the environment has, has been, you know, changing for some time. And I think 
over the last five years or so, we've seen more and more brands um, want to be more inclusive of the LGBT community in their advertising. Um, one of the key questions that we always get is, how do we do that and how do we do that well? Um, and so what we, are, what we are working on um, with a lot of our teams is growing the capability to um, better represent the community. Um, and it's a tough challenge because the community is so incredibly diverse. Um, within LGBTQ, you really have every walk of life. You have every gender, age, ethnicity, race, religion, et cetera, reflected. And so for us, as the, as the environment outside of the company becomes more accepting and more appreciative of the LGBTQ community, that makes our job um, even more important. And we need to make sure that we are um, kind of stepping up to that challenge in the way that we reflect the community in our own work. And, you know, I think Sarah Kate makes a great point about, you know, ensuring that we have our own house in order. Um, and that's through policies and, you know, different things that, that we need to be building inside the company that helps to nurture and develop talent. And so all of those factors kind of are, are kind of coming into a, just a really interesting moment in time where the, the craft of LGBTQ marketing is accelerating extremely rapidly. And we now are faced with the, the really wonderful challenge of how to embrace that and how to do that craft very, very well. And I think what's been fascinating is with the beauty industry, they're really one of the very first industries that um, embrace the LGBTQ community. Um, and so they've been doing this and of kind of evolving in the space for, for a while. And so I think we can learn from a lot of companies that have been pioneering in the space. And I expect that, you know, more and more companies are going to be able to um, be bringing, you know, LGBTQ um, people and themes and insights into the work that they're doing. Um, I think also one of the things, Brent, is that our research together showed. So Glad and P&G released research on advertising and marketing executives. And it, and it really drives home what Brent was saying, which is that 81% of advertisers say they, they are worried about backlash if they include LGBTQ people in, not from the general public, but from the LGBTQ community. Um, because they're concerned that the um, who they include won't be perceived as authentic enough. And the reason they feel this is because these um, there are so many identities that they're unfamiliar with, and they don't understand the nuances of them. Um, and that's really a big threshold that we've crossed, actually, where in the past, what we were concerned as, as advertisers, was... Will there be a um, general population backlash if I include a gay couple in my ad? And that was really what we were up against as GLAD. We were helping brands who were willing to go out there. Now it's the inverse. It's actually flipped. We're not worried about advertisers aren't so worried about the general population because it's pretty widely accepted LGBTQ. Um, what they are worried is the backlash from the community itself because they're not getting the, the nuanced portrayals correct. And that's someplace like Brent and I spend a lot of time on um, as and our team spend a lot of time on when, when P&G is including LGBTQ people in the ads. And that's something that we can help with through the visibility project that we launched together um, and that 
you know, any brands can go and sign up to be a part of the visibility project where we will help you and advise you on how to do it, especially the nuance when you get into transgender or gender nonconforming um, identities and how to do that um, in a real and authentic and accurate way. And talking nuance, Leal, how does it impact brand development? So, you know, I'm, I'm going to take it back to, I think, you know, brands ultimately are part of uh, what we do every day at P&G. And I, and I think it starts with what we do back home. And I love the way that you said it, getting the shop back in order. And I want to start there because I, I think that you can only develop brands that are more inclusive if you start with a home that is more inclusive. Um, you know, recently we saw that 53% of LGBTQ plus people are not feeling themselves at work. That means that there's a lot to be done. Um, and there's a lot of information about the role of not just equality in the workplace, but equity to ensure that we're all starting from that same base. And it starts with having teams that are actually creating environments that are inclusive. But to do that, you need to understand the barriers and the biases that we have, um, and then acting on them. I give you a small example. A few years ago, one of my team members who was instrumental in the work that we did on the Pantene Hair Has No Gender campaign, um, he is gay and he was becoming a parent. And what we realized at the time was we had a paternity leave, which was two months, and we had a maternity leave, which was four months. And we didn't necessarily have a policy that fit his situation. And hence, we needed to do something about it. And our incredible HR team at the time partnered and we changed the policy. And being part of a team like that and being part of a, of a home like that breeds work that then comes into the brands and is able to impact society at large. So I, I do think that we need, to, we need to, as companies, do both. Think of the brands that we're putting out there, but then where are those brands being developed? What are the teams we are building around those brands? And are we fostering that kind of inclusive behavior that then breeds advertising that is more representative? And you know, it's key that we have allies as we're doing that, both internally and externally, to make sure that we're that we're making that change inside out, which I think makes it even more powerful. And talking allies, Sarah. What are the governmental drivers aiding or abetting the need for brands to increase LGBTQ representation in advertising? So, yeah, I think that's a great question because when we talk about authentic authenticity from brands, we can't do that without saying that brands need to take a stand, right, for LGBTQ people when it comes to laws that harm us or ones that will write LGBTQ equality and acceptance into law. So both for and against. Um, you know, brands helped us and stepped up when, when we were fighting for marriage equality in the, in the United States. Um, and they continue to help us on the state level um, in the United States, where we've seen over 250 anti-LGBTQ bills presented this past year. Um, and over a hundred of those are just straight out anti-trans bills. Um, when you look at the world at large, nearly 70 countries still criminalize, criminalize LGBTQ. Um, and there are only about I guess 30 countries where marriage equality is legal. So we have a long way to go and brands can use their leverage, their power, um, both with governments 
and their buying power, their advertising power, their platforms to help move forward true equality and acceptance for the LGBTQ community. And I think, you know, I often say when you market to the LGBTQ community, you need to be ready to join our movement because you can't just sell us product. You have to help us as a marginalized community. Um, and I think there's a lot of power that we've seen harnessed around um, governments and corporations in order to advance acceptance and equality across the world. And does that resonate with you, Brent? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, if you think about it, the the laws and the and the actions of our governments and our governing bodies have a direct impact on the in the environments in which we're doing business. And of course, our employees are members of the communities that are impacted by um, the laws um, that that allow them to, to to come and be their full selves. And so we want to make sure that our communities are as inclusive as possible and are as open as possible so that our, our people um, can bring their full selves to work. That increases productivity, that increases creativity. And then in addition, we know that more inclusive um, communities have um, um, more expansive economies because more people are operating as their full selves. So these inclusive economies are good for business um, they're good for our employees, and it's 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 fostering um, a community that people you know want to be a part of. So it's important for us to work in our with our you know within our um, local um, markets where we're at to help um, to help drive um, inclusive policy just just as we would inside the company. So um, you know it's 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 it, it can be very tricky because there are um, a, there's a huge amount of difference around the world in terms of um, religious norms, societal norms, cultural norms that have um, differing impacts on the LGBTQ community. But we know through partnerships with people like GLAD, through organizations like PGLE um, and other organizations that we can engage in conversation, which ultimately in the long run um, was going to have a positive effect. And how does this affect brand development, Lael? So, I mean, I in line with what, what was said, it's it is our absolute privilege, but also responsibility as brands to move culture forward. You know, when you are working on the world, some of the world's largest beauty brands, when you are, um, you know, driving this much media, when you, when you literally shape culture, it becomes part of your responsibility. And, um, and it's a responsibility we don't take lightly. Uh, I think a lot of what Brent was saying is, is, you know, we, we take that responsibility to heart. We realize that we, um, operate pretty much, you know, all over the world and, and have a responsibility to move culture forward, to partner with um, the right partners across the world and to be part of that conversation and, and at many times lead that conversation forward. So I, you know, I, I start off with what I said at the very beginning of the podcast, which is there is no more brand building that is um, just about delivering a benefit. Our consumers are expecting brands to have values and to demonstrate those values and to be part of, of change and to drive the culture. And, and there is no more, you know, I, I buy you because you deliver X, Y, and Z, but I expect of you that you, you impact, you impact society. And so for me, really, it's not a, it's not a, if it's, it's a, it's, it's a must as a brand builder 
um, nowadays to embrace the important topics and to have a role and a responsibility in driving those forward. To build on that from um, in terms of the, the brand perspective, um, because there are so many differences um, around the world, um, not, not just in terms of laws, but just in terms of cultural acceptance um, and the diversity within the LGBTQ community, it does impact at times how we execute a campaign or how we represent the LGBTQ campaign. And it's really important for us as brands and companies to understand the nuances within all of those different markets because you can go in with the best of intention and in driving a conversation forward on this community. And if you don't, if you're not in touch with that nuance or you don't understand some of the cultural dynamics in some of these markets around the world, your good intentions may have uh, uh, the reverse impact that you want it to have. And so we work with organizations like GLAD. So when we're creating a new campaign that has an LGBTQ theme or idea or representation, we want to make sure that that has resonance and relevancy uh, with the community. And we work really hard to make sure that we get it right so that our good intention comes through and that that message is received by the public in the way it's intended. And that's, that's just um, a tricky nuance that is probably more present with the LGBT community than potentially other underrepresented groups. And it's something that is just really important for brand builders to understand as they go into this area of marketing and brand building. That, that's really well said. That's really well said. And I, you know, I, I don't think we, you know, you will never see the same campaign everywhere in the world because of those differences. Um, and maybe sometimes you, you may judge that a campaign didn't go far enough somewhere looking at it from a different lens, but the reality is it could be that that's going quite far in that context. Um, and so that's absolutely the right, the right build Brent. And, and again, I think we have the luxury of having that footprint and, and working with all the right partners to enable us to get that nuance. And we certainly do get it wrong at times. I mean, I don't want to also, you know, sit here and say that we always get it right. We have gotten it wrong in places and it's important that you then pivot, recognize you got it wrong, but then you don't let that stop you. Um, you just pivot, you know, you, you, you get it right again and then you move forward. And talking shaping culture, Sarah, what could, should brands do to increase LGBTQ representation in advertising over the next 12 months? Well, um, I think they should definitely join the P&G and GLAD Visibility Project, and you can go to glad.org to do that, G-L-A-A-D.org. Um, which is a commitment to increasing representation and also gives you the tools to do it the right way um, so that you are um, so that you're not putting yourself in a, in a uh, or your company at risk um, or miss miss um, representing the community. So I think, I think, what you're all saying though is so right it's like you've got to take the step forward and you know taking a, a page from p and g which is when i say get your house in order it doesn't need to be perfect it's about progress folks it's not about being perfect we're not perfect and it's really important that you know you don't have to be um have everything perfectly aligned in your organization, your board represented, your executive team, there are goals and you should be working toward those goals before you go, while you're going out to the community. So 
Um, I don't want, you know, I don't want people to stall their efforts in a public way because in a private way, they're trying to still get um, their company up to speed. I think that you have to do them concurrently. And I think P&G showed a great example about that. Um, and the same to what was just being said, which is like, when you do make a mistake, when they're, when you are off, just acknowledge that, you know, um, P&G did a whole movie about what LGBTQ uh, inclusion or lack of inclusion looked like at the company for years. And it's owning your narrative is the most powerful way to overcoming it, right? Especially if there's something that you're trying to overcome, obviously. So I think that's um, a, something that I want to leave people with is that please visit glad.org and join the Visibility Project. Um, I think we're, we, we're really looking forward to working with brands to be inclusive, but also don't stop yourself. Um, think and be thoughtful about it, but don't think that you have to achieve perfection within your company in order to move forward externally. You need to be working at it and you have to have um, really good intentions and thoughtful people around you. And please call us to help you. And for P&G, Brent? I think this has probably been the most exciting time um, that um, for LGBTQ brand building um, that I've been able to be a part of. Because what we're seeing now is a lot more tools available to us to really go in and do the homework. And that, that first step of doing the homework is absolutely critical for brands to enter into this space and do it in a sustained way. We always talk about this type of work and saying it needs to be baked in to the fabric of how we build brands, and it's not a bolted-on effort. To Sarah Kate's point earlier about you know what we see right now during Pride Month, where a lot of brands are, in, uh, are coming out with limited edition products with rainbows or and all those different things, like that's great, right? That that can create visibility, and for for some for a young person to come and see you know a sea of rainbows everywhere, it feels good. Um, it feels nice to to think like wow, there, there's a lot of support out there. But as brand builders, we've got to make sure that that is a sustained um, idea that's baked into how we build our brands. And it starts with getting in and doing the research with the consumer, getting in and doing the homework, and figuring out how that ladders up to the brand strategy. So that's, that's really what we're doing with a lot of our brands now. And like to use Pantene as an example, I mean, they went in and did the research and discovered that 60% of people change their hair when they come out of the closet. And that insight, you know, ladders up to the idea that hair is one of the most visible ways that people present themselves to the world, that they present their identity to the world. And once Pantene, you know, really ran with that insight, then they had a conversation point that was relevant to hair, relative to the brand, relative to the LGBTQ community, that was workable in a campaign, that was that made sense. It made sense that Pantene was talking about this. And that that's when you come up with something that can be sustained over time. So that's what we're that's what we're working to do now over the next 12 months is dig in, do our homework and make sure that we're building the right brand systems that are going to be able to sustain LGBTQ representation throughout everything that we do. And for you, Leal. So, you know, Brent and I were having a conversation a few weeks back um, and we were we were thinking of the fact that a lot of us after this lockdown um, were really excited to go back out, go back into life and what have you. And, and then we reflected on the fact that there was 
there were a lot of members of of um, of the community that actually felt that they mean may have may need to go back into the closet in a way, need to go back into norms, need to go back into hiding their identity, need to go back into, into certain stereotypes of what they're supposed to look like at work or um, you know, in their day-to-day -day lives. So I, I want us to first pause and reflect on the fact that, that there are still many, many consumers and members of the community that today do not feel that they could absolutely be and exist in, in a way that fully represents their identity. And that, that is something that we should not be accepting um, in 2021. So there's an urgency to act and to act fast. And then it goes back to what do we do as brands? And I, you know, not to repeat what Brent was saying, but I think there's, you know, if I put it into four things, A, get educated, do your homework, you know your brands really well, make sure that you find that insight that is coherent to the brand benefit and is at the heart of the brand expression. So, you know, I love that a lot of people are putting, you know, unicorns everywhere, et cetera, but that's not necessarily getting the homework done. So let's get the homework done. Um, and, and I think as a company, we're very committed to doing that. Then find the right partners. You know, Glad is an incredible partner. Find those right partners that help you get educated as well and, and help create the, the bridges that you may not have and the nuances that you may miss. Then take that step forward. Take that step forward. And I, I couldn't emphasize that more. But then learn, keep an open mind and continue to learn, 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 pivot if you have to, but never take a step back. And I think if you just kind of think through that mindset and if all of us with our collective power do that, we hopefully will be sitting here a year from now and, and we won't be talking about 1.8% anymore. I certainly hope it's a much larger percentage. Um, but, uh, you know, again, it starts with us getting our homework uh, done and, and then, you know, not, not letting fear stand in the way of us taking that step forward. And with that, I would like to thank Sarah, Brent and Leal for taking part today and to you for listening.